Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, where it's my job to introduce you to people from the world of commercial property. We're talking with investors and thought leaders about their experiences of the commercial property world and sharing our own lessons from the last 20 years to give you practical know-how so that you can follow in their footsteps. If you've ever thought commercial could be your next step, but it just seems too confusing and opaque, then you've come to the right place. There are so many exciting opportunities in this dynamic sector, and I'm looking forward to pulling back the curtain and sharing them with you. Alexander here, and welcome to episode 101 of the Commercial Property Investor Podcast. Well, how are things with you? When this podcast comes out, it'll already be 13 days into the new year. That's nearly half of January gone already. I hope you've had a flying start to the new year and have some great plans you're working on. Hopefully, some of those include commercial property dealings, of course. And some of you may already have commercial property in your portfolio and you're tuning in for tips and different perspective on things in the commercial market. But for some of you, it's all new and we're here to help out. If you've only just discovered us, we have over a hundred episodes now for you to digest. We've covered lots of different topics in there, including some of the basics like market composition or just strategies on how to get into commercial when you've got an existing residential portfolio. And we've also included more advanced topics such as the interior design or the layout of certain types of properties, and of course, things about operations. And through those episodes, you begin to recognise the fact that I find CMO or commercial multiple occupancy buildings really exciting. I think they can be great investments with a high level of cash flow, positive cash flow. And let's face it, that's why a lot of us got into commercial property in the first place. Anyway, way back at the start, when I was on the outside with my small residential portfolio looking in, my main approach and thought of how this market worked was that you bought commercial property for a passive income. You parked your money and you got a return for it. And your job was to try and get the best return, of course, and then just collect the rent check every quarter, as it turned out, with some of the leases or whatever the frequency was. And maybe you would check the property once a year or something, and I just viewed it as a passive strategy. It was somewhere to park and hold. What I discovered when I got in the swim and started with that first commercial property was that you can be really active in this, if you choose to be. And one of the strategies that allows you to be active is the CMO model. If you are an active investor, you can and indeed should be making higher cash flow or higher returns because you're putting in more effort. For instance, in a traditional full repairing and insuring lease, such as that FRI lease, you might expect between, say, I mean, the market is pretty crazy right now in certain sectors, but let's say between 6% and 12% ROI. Maybe more generally, it's within that parameter, but there will be some things, some properties that will be outside of that range. But what's important to remember about ROI when I'm talking about it on this podcast is it's not about the ROI on your investment money. It's not about the thousand or ten thousand pounds you put on put into a property deal and is now generating a thousand pounds cash and it's producing loads of ROI for you. It's about the return on the whole building and the whole investment. Otherwise, how can you compare it with other projects? Because everybody finances everything differently. In commercial, I would suggest that if you want a true reflection on how much ROI is potentially going to come out of a deal, you need to take the whole cost together 
and divide it by the income to get your ROI, not what's your investment. Because those things change because every project is different and it makes comparisons really difficult. Anyway, get off my hobby horse. If you're talking about a CMO building, then not only are you collecting that base rent, so say the 6 to 12%, but you should also be collecting income for the added value of the flexibility that comes from a CMO building and the shared component, the fact that everybody's under one roof, which allows you to keep your cost down, I guess. So it's really the management of that building should allow you to create more margin. Under a normal lease, that management is often done by a managing agent, of course. And I'm not saying you can't use a managing agent to do a multi-let building. In fact, a lot of industrial estates, sometimes those buildings are, are terraced, sometimes they're not. But that you could say that some of those are multi-let um, facilities and they're often managed by agents. But often those managing agents are doing the more on FRI leases. And of course, they will take their margin, which is generally around about 10%, maybe slightly more, depending on who it is. And of course, it's kind of the same in residential, isn't it? You could self-manage your properties. And I know some of you might be groaning at that. <laughs> or you could find a letting agent to do the managing. And I would say the similarity ends there. It's maybe not the best comparison because the relationship between a landlord and a residential tenant is really quite different between a property owner and a commercial tenant or client. It's really quite different. Plus, as I say, the margin should be significant. Otherwise, what's the point in doing it? And there is a catch, of course, which is that an active strategy means that you are using some of your time and that's perfectly okay when you're starting out. But if your aim is to get yourself more time back in your life, commercial property is actually a fantastic place to do it, even with an active strategy. But long term, it's not necessarily the best scenario if you're in and amongst it all the time, unless you really enjoy it, of course. But today's episode is about how you can take that more active business, and I'm not talking about the active process of adding value to property, but actually the more the day-to-day, and make it more passive, or at least considerably more passive. This topic actually is about any business, really. But of course, I'm going to relate it to commercial property and it's about making those investments more passive for you. It's really important to point out that although I have made comparisons to traditional business and scaling, commercial property does have that big benefit. It has a reoccurring income model. And that is a major difference. At the beginning of each month, you know exactly what your base income is going to be give or take a few pounds. It's like a subscription model, but with far more consistency. That is what allows you to build or maintain an income with relative confidence, that reoccurring income at the start of the month. Now, hold on a minute. While it's popped in my head, I need to quickly talk about something that's happening next week. We've got a webinar going on on Monday evening. It's my first one. I've not done any webinars before. It's on the 17th of January. Um, If it's past the 17th of January, sorry, you've missed it. But if it's not the 17th of January yet, it's on at 7pm GMT, Greenwich Meridian time, for those that are not in the UK. I'll make sure there is a link in the show notes. Um, It'll be about an hour long, and then there's 30 minutes Q&A scheduled for the end. So if any of you out there have been listening to podcasts for a while and you've got some questions in your mind and you've not been able to reach out, that might be your opportunity. So get it in the diary. It'd be super to speak to you, particularly if you haven't reached out to us before. I'm going to cover things like why commercial property can provide such great cash flow, how to find those properties, those ones that will generate 
five or maybe even 10,000 cash flow per month. They are out there. A system on how to establish market demand. That's one of the things that really I um, learn holds people back. It's trying to understand how to work out what market demand is. How deal flow works in the commercial market. How can you actually come across these deals? Why is it difficult to see them? I'll go through that. And I'll talk a little bit about some of the tax advantages of investing in commercial property versus residential. Because there are some really significant factors there that will impact your momentum long term. Anyway, so that's the commercial interlude over. Let's get back to the topic in hand. Don't you just love how slick and professional I make this? <laughs> so anyway, quite early on, I worked out that although my first CMO building gave us a fantastic income, an income that would allow most to leave their job just from one building, what it didn't do was give me all my time back. I'd kind of given myself a job because there was a building there with, um, I think, about 24, 25 different clients who all were coming in the building and working in the building every day. So you kind of needed to be around. And that was part of the value add. But what I needed was some scale in order to be able to bring in the people with the skill set to support that business and our customers. But one building, of course, couldn't support the infrastructure you would need to be able to make that work. Because there's quite a few different components you need in there, like any business, of course different types of skills. But before I go on, just to put it back up in shiny bright lights, you could leave all of that to somebody else and just be the investor. And that's okay. But just recognize your margin will be a bit less. This way, if you do it more yourself or at least get involved in the active side of it, you can keep your margin and in time, you can make it more passive, but it'll take time and work to get there. I'm not going to lie to you and say it's all a bed of roses because it isn't. You see, the reality of a vertically integrated CMO model or business is that you will need staff. A big element of the day-to-day -day is a trading business. And what I mean by that vertically integrated CMO business, what, what I mean there is there's, there's kind of four different people or parties that are involved in property transactions and property operations. So, for instance, there is the investor, the person who puts in the money and takes a return, an ROI on their money. There's then the developer, the person that changes the building or builds the building. But in, in the stuff that we tend to do is refurbishment. They're, they're the guys that come in and do all the refurbishment. Then once the building is being completed and handed over, there's then an operations business. They then want to make their money. That's the managing agent, the, the manager of the building, or indeed your own operations business if you want to do it that way. And then the fourth party is all the property professionals that hang around the sides charging you money for different things. So think about that. Investor, they make a margin. Developer, tends to be a one-off margin, of course. There is maintenance and things which will create some margin. And then there's operations, managing sales, managing customers, providing service which will be something that's charged more for. So there's another piece of the margin. And then the final piece of the pie is the property professionals round the edge. So you could just be the investor, but all these other elements will be taking margin as well. So you could vertically integrate. You could be the investor. You could do the development yourself, and I'm going to come on to that a little bit. You could be the operating company 
or the managing agent or whatever you want to call it that's running the show, running the business on the day-to-day, and you could potentially bring some of the property professional element in-house. But you need scale for that. But each of those has a margin, doesn't it? So let me tell you a bit about our trading business and how it differs from our investment vehicles because we do work on a propco and opco basis which i think i've covered in a previous podcast it certainly pops in my head that i have but basically what that means is that our day-to-day operations are in one business and our actual investments are quite insular and separate in investment vehicles separate businesses And there's lots of reasons to separate them out, but as I say, that's really another episode right there. I'm still active myself, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about how this all fits together. But I'm still active myself, but more so in the investment and development companies. So I still do activities like raising finance, finding properties, overall project design and development, obviously work with some architects as well. But I do enjoy that and I find it quite hard to give up that element. It's the creative side that I really like. We have always managed our projects in-house and we have some project managers now to provide that focus and we still don't use main contractors. At some point we probably will. It's going to have to come at some point. I just find it hard to let go of that margin, first of all. (laughs) But also the creativity that is afforded by the fact that we can run our own projects. So if you're doing uh, an older building, you can make changes without very expensive change orders going through main contractors. And when you're doing up those older buildings that have got a lot of character, it, it can be, frust- or I can imagine it would be frustrating coming across something that could add value to the customer experience, but it's just too expensive to make the alteration, to include it, so you don't, and it gets covered up and, and it's always there behind plasterboard or something annoying you. <laughs> For me, I like to take those things out and really em- embellish those and make that part of the customer experience. And of course, at the end of the day, that does provide higher margin as well. But it just provides a much nicer place to, to physically work in, to be in um, for our customers. Anyway, that's an element of the reason why I don't or we haven't been using main contractors. But at some point, we're going to have to. I know we're going to have to. There are some things I need to let go. I still interfere too much. But myself and the team need about two more people or skill sets to come in for the operations business so we can go to the next level. Some of the amazing members of our team are carrying out dual roles. There are some um, areas there that are still run by one individual or another individual. And I really need to get or we need to get in new team members to help take some of that load so that we can each concentrate on those different areas. Now, you don't need to scale, of course. You don't need to have a people business. I'm going to reiterate this again. Some of you most certainly don't want a people business. But I worked out early on to get an active business to become a passive business. I needed scale and a team to manage the day-to-day. And and interesting, if I take a little analogy, in in another business that we have that's been going for 20-odd years, we, we supply roofing contractors with materials, flat roofing materials, for fixing knacker flat roofs, basically. Um, it's a single ply membrane business. There are a few other components, but that's the main product um, in there. And over the years, I've noticed a common thread. Some of those contractors grew and grew and grew, but then eventually they shrank back down to a manageable size because it became too much of a challenge for them. And there seems to be three phases there. This is what I've observed. The first phase, it's you and maybe one or two others selling your time for money and making 
pretty good money. So then it's like, okay, I'm going to move, move into phase two here. I want to grow this business. I want to get some scale. So it's then when you think about making, you're making that good money and right, okay, let's move into phase two. This is where you add more people and things, so vans, trucks, whatever it is, to increase your money. The problem is, in reality, generally you end up making less money because you're in this growing phase and you have more growing pains and heartache and all the different things that come and challenges that come with people and more activity before you've managed to build the infrastructure to support you and your team. And it's a, it is really challenging in that area. So what I've noticed then, particularly as contractors, is the objective, as I say, is to get to that third phase where things become a bit more passive and they have choices because the team and system that have been built. So it's less so in, in large service businesses or more traditional business. But if you've built a portfolio of properties, that is definitely more possible to make the thing more passive. However, over the years, I've noticed that many don't quite manage to leave phase two. And what they end up doing is going back to phase one, where they used to make more money with less people. A trading business, most trading businesses, follow the same path. I'm sure a few of you are nodding your head right now. An active business in commercial property isn't any different, but kind of is different because there's that reoccurring element. That is the bit that really makes the difference. And it gives you that opportunity to build a more passive business by developing a portfolio of active investments with a team that is then giving you more regular income. The problem with the phase three in, in a contracting business, certainly, because I've, I've had my own contracting business as well, is that when you get near that phase three, you've got to feed the beast. You've got to keep getting jobs and projects to feed the beast, which can also be challenging. Um, everybody has a different approach to it, but it is difficult to get from that phase one to phase three and maintain it. But that team whether it be in business or commercial, that team needs to cover basic functions, right? So business functions, admin and accounting, operations, which is the day-to-day -day delivery of your product, including the customer service and property maintenance, if it, we're talking here about commercial. Um, marketing, which is a hugely complex area these days with multiple channels. It kind of appears to be cheaper because there's an opportunity, there's, there's more democratisation with the fact that you've got social media and all these sorts of things. But actually, it's quite complex and there's a lot of different areas. I mean, our sales leads for our lettings come in from about 14 or 15 different channels. That's quite difficult to keep on top of. And between you and me, we're not good at all of them. Some of them we are, but not all of them. It's very hard. And you need capacity to be able to, to, to deliver all of those. And I guess when you're starting out, it's probably better just to focus on one or two and get really good at those. Anyway, sales is another one, of course. And that's the whole process. Sometimes people are a bit derogatory towards sales, but sales is part of everything that we do. It's part of the listening, the dealing with customers. It's part of the painting of corridors, keeping facilities nice. That's all part of sales and marketing. All of it. But the sales process itself is not a reactive thing. It shouldn't be. It should be a carefully thought out process. It's like a dance. Becomes repetitive. 
and it becomes easier to do on a kind of subconscious way, if that's the right phrase. Um, just the better and the more you do it, the more it just becomes automatic. And then you relax and it's more about building relationships, finding out what people want and trying to deliver what they want rather than to ram down the face what you've got. <laughs> that's, like I say, that's another whole topic, isn't it? But what I worked out early on was admin and accounting, operations, marketing, sales, and of course, an HR element. And once you have members of your internal or outsourcing team covering those functions, then you can focus on the bigger, more impactful things, which will lead to new and bigger opportunities for all of you. And you'll have the time to lift your head more <laughs> and focus on the bigger stuff. The thing I hadn't quite anticipated when I started out on that commercial journey was the momentum that you could create once you hit a critical mass. So I hadn't really thought about this early on. I thought, right, I need those systems and things in place to give me time. But what I didn't work out was it gave you momentum. And once the structure and overhead is there, you can really start to build because that reoccurring income allows you to rely less and less on bank and finance providers. So think about this. If you've got a commercial asset that has lots of different opportunities to make it better, you can make those improvements and develop new products or areas of your property and fund them from cash flow. So then your cash flow is working on creating more cash flow, which will build more momentum and more, you guessed it, cash flow. It's really exciting when that starts to happen because now you know there's more opportunity and there's less reliance on those funding partners. And of course, you know, some people will approach it in a different way. They'll say, well, actually, that cash flow is for me. I'm going to spend it. I want to go and buy a car. I want to go and live in Switzerland, whatever it is. That's fine. It's whatever suits you. And of course, the question really is, when is enough enough? And only you can answer that yourself. And on a side note, a, a few of the people that have come to work with me on our mastermind program have been very successful with other strategies in residential, and they could easily hang up their boots. But once they've got that base layer, it, it seems to become more than just about the money. It's about the chase. It's about the game. It's about working with others enjoying themselves, creating something, helping others. For me, I really love creating that physical stuff. I love older buildings and bringing them back to life. It can be really satisfying doing that. But also for me, helping others is becoming a bit addictive. <laughs> I'm actually really enjoying it. And over the last few days, I've been going through um, a few one-to-ones with new students for our Mastermind program, which is starting at the end of this month. And it's just been really interesting and a joy, really, to work with them and to find out what they've been up to, where they are right now and where they want to go. And the fact that maybe I can help them do those next steps. So that's really something that I've been enjoying. But anyway, for you, it could be um, it could be the travel stuff. It could be living somewhere else. It could be putting your kids through private school, whatever it is. And you might decide, right, now's the passive point. I'm going to pause now and I'm just going to live off the income. And that's absolutely fine. So I'm going to close this episode off right now. It's been a bit of a ramble, but let me focus in and summarise on the main point I've been trying to make here. This business can give fantastic cash flow if you become more active. It can also allow you to really grow the value of your portfolio, of course, by virtue of the fact that that extra cash flow will be intrinsically tied to the value of the property, i.e. the value should have gone up. 
But in the words of Stephen Covey, we need to always begin with the end in mind. What are you trying to build here? Don't be too random because after a few years you might have built a portfolio and a strategy that's not able to serve your needs. Make sure when you get to the top of the ladder or the wall you've chosen to lean it against that it has the capacity to deliver what you really want. If not, then you better review it now. Now it's funny, whenever I say something like that, the voice in my head says, yeah, but don't scare listeners into doing nothing (laughs) because they'll be spending all their lives planning and never actually doing anything. So think this stuff through, but at the same time, get out there and make things happen. Otherwise, you'll have amazing plans, but no results. So you need to get out there and swim and start doing stuff. But do think about the bigger picture and longer term. I was just really lucky early on. I kind of came across this strategy, worked out what I needed structure-wise to be able to make it more passive, and then we've just worked towards it. So if any of you are struggling with this type of stuff, then do reach out. I'm happy to give 15-minute calls. I do them fairly regularly. I know it would have helped me when I was scrabbling around in the dark during the first few years. So please feel free to reach out. Um, the mastermind I mentioned, there will be details in the show notes if anybody wants to have a look at that. And if you get a moment, make my day. Leave us a positive review on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. If it's a constructive review you want to leave, please send it directly to us. <laughs> feedback is your friend, of course. And genuinely, we would love to hear from you. If you've got any feedback, good or constructive, please send it to us and we'll try and incorporate that into what we do in the future. So thanks so much for listening in. Wish you all the best for the week coming up. And this has been the Commercial Property Investor Podcast. 